everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. This week, we're, we're back again after only one week. Um, and today, I, I am Catherine Druckmann, as I am every day. And <laughs> joining you us. You sound better. You sound better. Yeah, I do a sound mic. a little better, I think. I have a new you microphone. You sound a lot better. It's great. Um, yeah. and, and like always, we have Doc Searles. And like frequently, we have Petros <laughs> Katupis and Kyle Rankin. And today, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about TikTok. I know that's what everyone wants to talk about, right? Uh, but we're going we're gonna to talk about it at a, from a slightly different angle. Um, there was a recent uh, executive order and... As of uh, September 20th, TikTok is now contraband. And that's uh, potentially problematic, and we're going to talk about why. But I think before we start, it's also probably good to acknowledge um, a little bit of cognitive dissonance here, because I think personally for me, and I, I, I'm guessing this is the same for y'all, um, I, I don't like TikTok. I don't want it on my phone. I don't think it really should be on anybody's phone because I think it's a terrible idea. And that level of data exploitation, user exploitation is really, you know, the stuff of dystopian science fiction. But that doesn't necessarily mean I agree with forest removal. So with that, I'm going to hand it over and let, let's talk about what we think about this executive order. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw some thoughts out there and they come from different angles. Um, I've actually played a bit with TikTok. It's a fun app. Uh, I, I actually like it. I've learned some stuff from it. Um, I have no idea what's being collected about me or about anybody or where it goes. I don't have any idea where, you know, where it goes. I have some idea of where it goes with other apps that one uses. I would love it. I mean, an open source angle on this would be, um, open, open up everything and tell us where it goes and what it's doing. You know, I mean, th that, that would be an interesting thing to demand of TikTok. Uh, I think the, the administration's concern is that the data is going to China or China's stealing. I, I mean, it basically there's just, it, I think it's the administration's thumb in China's eye. I don't think if I'm not, I might be mistaken about this, but TikTok is not a Chinese company. It is one that began there, but it actually has, is somewhat different administratively. Um, I think the TikTok they want out is one that is a US-based thing, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, what, um, but I, I mean, my advice to them would be, or advice to Apple and Google is, no, we're not taking it out of our store. Sue us, you know, send in the troops, some other thing. We think that's bogus. Because I think, I, I think it's absolutely wrong for executive order or not for the government to tell a company what it can and can't do um, and or what can and can't be sold uh, based on not a whole lot of information. I, 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 I just don't like that a whole lot. And I think it would be an interesting thing if Apple and Google, which are the two app stores that matter, just say no. Or for that matter, TikTok itself says no, we're not, we're not going to take ourselves out. And you know, and they're not going to, and let them send in the troops or whatever they think they're going to do. I see what happens. Let's, let's have a, let's have that crisis and, and see where it goes. I'm 100% certain there'll be a lot of really teed off people. Um, but I think maybe that's part of what they're trying to do. I don't know, but that's yeah. my. I'm concerned about what message this will send, not just to um, current companies, but future companies and the, um, and the government's role 
in those future companies. I, I liken it to how some of the other countries, you know, we're talking about China. China, for example, has a very strong control of a lot of the, um, you know, the industries within its country and uh, how those industries are allowed to in, in, interact with other industries. It's just, I don't like the message this is going to send. Well, they're trying, in a way, I see the U.S. trying to play China. You know, oh, China wants to ban stuff, we can ban stuff too. We can be, we can censor as well as China can, which I think is a horrible idea. I I also think that the the internet is inherently an open internet or non-national place. It's not an international place. It's a, it's an, an a-national place. It's, it's, it, it, it was not designed to have borders. Um, It was never meant to have that. And, and, you know, to me, this is everything China's doing with to isolate, you know, the, their own separate sub-internet behind a, you know, the great firewall is bad. I, I'm opposed to that. And I, but I realize, okay, that's how their culture works and all that, but that's not the internet. They're getting uh, what a, a Chinese friend um, named Michael Anti, A-N-T-I, uh, calls the internet, the Chinese internet. And so in a way, what, you know, the, what President Trump wants to do is create the U.S. internet, which is not the rest of the internet. And, and, resembles China in the sense that some things will be allowed and some things won't. And that I think is wrong. It's an affront to the way the internet was designed. So a while back, I actually, I want to, I think Kyle might be able to speak to this better than I can actually, but a while back, some security researchers picked apart TikTok. And I think that's possibly relevant to the conversation. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. They, no one has necessarily found anything in TikTok that they haven't found in pretty much any other phone application that is part of social media. You know, I mean, there's, there will all, I, I don't think that any legitimate argument for this happening is a security argument as much as it's, is like with many other things, security is used as the um, public explanation when the real reason for doing these things is control. You know, for instance, uh, all of the control that, that China has over its local market, um, they established a precedent that a lot of the U.S. companies uh, that do business there have gone along with. And they're, thereby setting the precedent that, you know, Apple and Google, et cetera, will play ball for local rules under local juris- jurisdictions, sometimes at least. Uh, for example, in the case of banning Twitter, there have been companies that have wanted to ban Twitter and... Uh, and uh, Apple and Google haven't necessarily played ball there because there's a concern about people using it to suppress um, dissidents and, and that sort of thing. But um, in other cases, they've been happy to remove apps from app stores based on local rules. Uh, and like I said, set the precedent that it's okay to do so. They're they willing to do so. So now when the US asks them to do so, they're, not, they're in very poor footing to say, well, we won't do it here, but we'll do it when China asks us to do it. Yeah, that is concerning. And, and incidentally, I, I believe uh, TikTok still is a Chinese company. There was some talk of Oracle buying them or having some business relationship, well, but yeah, yeah, that, business I'm not sure where that went. Yeah, they have a they're, minority share uh, to my understanding of the company. Yeah, they're, they're a Chinese company. They're a Chinese-owned company that formed a U.S. subsidiary 
um, that was run okay. out of the U.S., but because the ultimate owner ownership was Chinese, um, it's similar to how a lot of large multinational companies are have their headquarters in a particular country, then have you know offshoots in various right. countries. So this is one of those things where you know I hate to be that person with a tinfoil hat on like I usually am, but mm. but I, I when I think about these things, I think about you know in, in terms of precedent and. And this is, you know, this could, this could be a really ugly one. And, and I wondered if we could talk about why, why we all think that is. Well, again, I think it's because what, what, whether it could be ugly in a number, number of ways. I mean, let, if obviously a platform or a store, which in Apple's and Google's cases are the same, pretty much the same thing, um, does have some responsibility to, to, you know, keep, keep its aisles clean and keep, and, and vet the products that are running on there and have standards about them. And if, and if, and if a, I mean, let's say TikTok was found to be just, just sucking out lots and lots of private data and using it in ways that, that uh, nobody's agreed to. And I mean, let's say they were truly acting badly and um, yeah, I could see banning it for that. Um, But I, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that, what the Trump administration wants to do is something that is in a very small way, but a significant way like China. In other words, it's, it's playing a political game with China, but is also setting a precedent that, that says, in, in the sense that Petros is talking about, that sends the message at least that, that um, in the US, the US government can say what and will not run on your computer. And to me, that's that's wrong, um, and uh, and again, it's an affront to what the internet is and was designed to be in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I could probably make an argument that, you know, Apple or Google or whoever runs a an app store has the right to govern its app store as it sees fit, but without government interference. And and as consumers, we can decide that we don't like that model, and you know, we think Apple is being a bully or whatever, but. But when it when it becomes the, the federal government dictating what's in the app store, it, it gets a little more concerning. Well, I mean that's me. the but that's the power and control that everyone has ceded to those companies, and then now we have a precedent that that power extends to the U.S. government at least, um, and possibly other governments too, because we've we've all sort of accepted that the modern computer. Uh, isn't necessarily under the owner's control anymore. Mm-hmm. That in you know this is a traditional computer. You could install whatever applications happen to be you know could technically run, but on a modern smartphone you have to get Google or Apple's permission, and the only way outside of that is to jailbreak the phone, to break yeah. out of the jail that's within the phone to install whatever you want, um, but every iteration of the phone, both vendors, it's in their interest to make that more and more difficult. Again, the, the, the cover story is that it's for security. It's to stop hackers from getting on your device. But the real reason, the reality behind it is it has way more to do with controlling what the users can do with the phone. Because when you look at the implications, it has to do with things like, uh, for example, in the case of, of Google, um, when you have many, many Android phones from different vendors uh, will come with all of this third-party software installed that you can't, you're not allowed to remove, for instance. And in many of those cases, 
that third party software um, intentionally sells, captures and sells your data. That's the reason why they paid um, a cellular provider to pre-install the application on your phone. Uh, and there's hooks in place to not only uh, to make it so that you can't remove it without rooting the machine. And we've all sort of accepted that this is okay because we're told it's for security. Um, but as we, we, this is a prime example of the fact that the restrictions on the individual are way stronger than the restrictions that are on an attacker. A hack, hackers have consistently proven that they can break out of these sorts of sandboxes. Uh, but the end user, let's say today that you don't, that you would like to starting Monday, you want to start using TikTok and you can't, you know, that it's technically possible depending on your phone to maybe root it to, you know, the break out of the jail and maybe sideload it. Uh, but then by doing so, you're, you're breaking the security model that both of those phones claim is, you know, is necessary to keep you safe. And you're subverting basically the entire, the, the, own, the sole security mechanism that they have by doing so. And so you're sort of faced with these two options. And we know that with future versions of the hardware and future versions of the software, that the goal uh, is to make it much more difficult and ultimately impossible to jailbreak these, these computers, uh, again, in the name of security. But the reality is, is it allows them to control what software you're allowed to have on your phone. So I think, I think the distinction between, um, you know, distribution of the app via app stores and actually using the app, I think is, is an interesting one because it, it's, it's not technically practical, right? For people who already have the app. I mean, I guess the, I mean, the app stores can remove it. Um, if you haven't, if you don't have a jailbroken phone, the second you do a, an update, there it goes. But my understanding is that there is a date where it is illegal to use the app. Well, what they're, what they're going to be doing is they're extending the current. So they're starting on Sunday. Uh, the, you cannot update if there's an update for those for um, both TikTok and WeChat. You can't uh, get updates for them. And if you don't have it installed already, you won't be able to install it through the App Store or the Play Store. Uh, then at a future date, I believe it's in um, at the end of November. November, yeah. Uh, all of these ISPs and uh, providers are going to be required to block uh, access to from within the U.S. to the services that would support TikTok and WeChat. That's my understanding. I haven't, yeah, I haven't my dug into the executive order, but yeah, my yeah. brief understanding of it is is that these other agencies are compelled to, other you know, companies will be compelled to uh, no longer allow the traffic through somehow, uh, which would indicate sort of like a, you know, a, some sort of great firewall of the United States in a way, maybe, uh, to, to accomplish that. I'm not sure how, that, how they expect that to be accomplished. We'll see. I mean, I, I still see most of this, like, uh, like many of these negotiations as a giant game of chicken uh, with, you know, being willing to burn everything down to be in a better negotiating position, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. I am, uh, concerned about the implementation of that as well. Like how, hmm. yeah, that's, that's scary. <laughs> just, just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, we live in China now, whether well, you I mean, wanted to move to China or, or not, or, or India or Indonesia, because or the, lots of, you know, yeah, those exactly. are, Indonesia did the same. The, those are countries that, you know, on a countrywide basis have banned 
this and other apps and and it's sort of like you know the you know all of these governments think that they can put sphincters on the internet and that's what they're doing you know and um and i i think that um that Kyle makes some really critical points about you know in in the name of security because that sort of covers too much it's uh um they're, they're, you know, and, and the point he makes also, they've made a whole pile of really great points, but, but that, you know, we've already sold out. I mean, we're, you know, we're already terribly exposed personally. There are so many holes already out there. We've, our, our, our many frogs have been boiled in so many ways already that it's kind of ironic and difficult to pull out this one, this one thing, this exposure to China and God knows what's happening there. As, as the reason for doing this. I'm not sure what the U.S. is saying its reason is at this point. Um, does anybody know? National security. Yeah, it's bullshit. Like Kyle uh, says, sorry. yeah, it's, it's the, just, the blanket excuse for all the bullshit yeah, that goes it, on, it's on a, it's a, <laughs> regulating it's a, the internet. It's a thumb in the eye of China, and China's not even going to feel it. You know, it's like, it's just a, you know, what, what, but they're, they're like every other company that has an algorithm that's looking at what you're interested in and gives you more of that or what it thinks, you know, or what the robot thinks you want more of. And God knows what's happening behind the curtain. You know, it's just, it's just more personalization, more profiling, more, more of all the stuff that now a lot of movies are being made about, you know, the, um, there's one I just saw, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but um, that's really all about Facebook and Facebook's algorithm, but also Google's, um, you know, the social uh, dilemma, the social dilemma. Yeah. It's a good movie. And, and, and I know a number of people in that movie, right? Uh, Tristan yeah. Harris is the main guy, the former um, chief ethicist for Google, and a title he gave to himself because they right. asked him to. You know, and, and, and they make a good case, but TikTok's no different in that respect. It, it's busy hacking you. You know, you, you, you watch a lot of Lauren Gray, one of the, oh, I don't know who that is, I just read about her, but, but, but she's popular, so you get more of that, right? And then... Other people get more of that and a whole kind of cult develops around that person or a cult of interest. Um, but the same thing happens with politics. And I have no idea where politics is on with that. I've just read here that the Biden, the Biden campaign has just said, we're, we're not doing anything with TikTok. Please get it off your phones for anybody who's involved in the campaign because he just, it's, it's radioactive at this point. They just don't want, it's just not an issue they want to participate in, I think. But that makes it political, right? It is a political right. thing. And I don't like politics being play, played with the internet. I mean, it's like playing politics with gravity. Uh, well, it started, it started as a political thing too, because at least if you go with, with the circumstantial timing of when sanctions were announced against TikTok originally, it was timed shortly after the, um, the uh, Trump's Tulsa campaign rally where there was this army of TikTok people that tried to subvert it by registering all of these seats that they had no intention of, of filling, that sort of thing. And then news came out afterwards about how some K-pop uh, stars and TikTok users combined forces to sort of spam the rally registration. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe a week or two, if I, get, if I have my timing right, I could be mistaken, but I, I didn't hear anything about sanctions against TikTok until maybe a week or two after that became national news. Yeah, I, I recall that. I remember that. Right. That sounds yeah pretty pretty accurate around the same time. Yeah, I want to say the the first talk of a of a ban or or the government taking action against TikTok was in July, 
ish and i think that was around around that time yeah so i think it's really more it you know it could be as silly as retribution for that you know like everything else you can get, you can squeeze a lot of things through the door if you blame security and, mm -hmm. and this is another good case you find out oh well this you know even though this is a u.s the, a U.S. entity, you know, it's owned by a Chinese company, therefore national security, therefore uh, we need to block it just in case somehow someone would gather, gather data. Um, but then the implications of, of what that means for all of the, imagine if you're neither in the U.S. nor in China, but say you're in Europe and you look at this and say, okay, but how about the 50 other apps that I have installed on my phone? that are from U.S. companies. And we know that the U.S. happens to have a couple of capabilities <laughs> to do things. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not like they're necessarily, necessarily feeling any better one way or the other by, by one out of the 50 other apps that are, that are gathering data doing this, you know, being blocked. Right. Well, so that's again, a, <laughs> I, was just, I was thinking about your blog post. <laughs> Um, your phone is your castle, which I think is, is relevant to this conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, why, why just that, you know, why are we building a fortress against this one and not, and not the others? Well, and that's the thing is I, as I started writing that I, I, as I was writing that with the idea of your phone is your castle, like your home is your castle kind of thing. Um, and going along with that metaphor, I started thinking about the metaphor a lot and then, you know, realized, well, you know, it's kind of like a castle for most people, except that you're not in charge of the castle. You can't control who comes in and who leaves. Um, you can have merchants who you didn't want come and bother you any time of day. And you're in, this, you're in this room that's very secure, but the only things you can have in the room are things that the owner of the fortress says you can have. And if they decide it's contraband, they can revoke it at any moment. And so, you know, that you may call that a fortress or you may call that a prison. You know, I mean, there's, if you're not in control of the situation uh, and you're ceding control to someone else who maybe you believe is benevolent, uh, but yeah, we, people have already signed up for this, for, have, have ceded control uh, to other companies, either for convenience or because they don't have a choice. You know, they don't, there's no other, there's no, they don't believe that they have any option but to do this um, and by the line that it's for their security. But yeah, they, there's there's no individual control and you don't have the same control that you had over with a personal computer where you could say, Oh, I, I want to use a competitor to the vendor. I get, I have my, I bought my computer from on this computer, you know, in the past you could do that. And if someone were to block that, it would be considered antitrust. Uh, but now uh, if you have one of these app stores, you can potentially block a competitor if you want and may or and may escape scrutiny. Apple has done that in the past by blocking email applications on the iPhone because it competed with their native apps and other things like that. The same thing with the, the, the parental control apps that they shut down briefly in the name of privacy for six months around the same time they launched their own parental app. And then once they um, got pretty good market share, then they, they just sort of revoked the ban and allowed them to come back in. So Doc has some has some uh, so a little background with the castle analogy as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we did uh, castle um, doctrine. Yeah, well, actually, and and Kyle sources some of the same people on on the castle doctrine. Um, the castle doctrine has been around a long time. That if, you know, your person's your home is your castle. And what I I, I like that Kyle's made the point that your phone should be your castle because it's like part of your body. It's sort of like 
I have a prosthetic arm, but it's my prosthetic arm. It's not somebody else's prosthetic arm, right? It isn't, it isn't prosthetic arm as a service. It is mine, right? And, um, but your, your phone is not that. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the phone companies. It's Apple's or Google's. It's, uh, it's all of the app providers. And, and in certain fundamental respects, because it was never the castle that we thought it was in the first place, um, it is not fundamentally ours. We feel like it's ours. We use it like it's ours, but it's really not because we'd never put in the true security functions in the first place that, that basically say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one. I, I, you agree to my terms, not I agree to yours. You know, I'm not even going to download a, an app that doesn't agree to my terms, one of which is you're not going to give my data away to somebody else, you know, for example. I mean, there are any number of very simple I think, are simple enough terms that we might have that others could agree to. Um, but we never did that. We, we set it up in, a, in the first place on the old industrial model where we are always the lesser party agreeing to the greater party's terms that we don't even bother reading because we have no power and we need the damn thing or we want it too damn much. Um, and, and I love that the, you know, that the, that the, the Librem 5 is maybe the only phone that, of any substance that does what that actually is yours. Um, and I'm fairly close to getting one myself. I really want one bad. Um, but, but, to go, but, but to go back, I mean, your phone is less a phone than a collection of apps. And, and TikTok is utterly not unusual in the sense that it has an algorithm for, for, for driving engagement. And, and for that reason, there's no way to avoid everything that everybody's got their, their pants in a wad over, you know, the, the addiction, the, the, you know, you get addicted to it. You have unwelcome content that has to be monitored, um, fake news, misinformation, um, you know, all the privacy concerns, all of, all of that stuff is caused by the, the very design of these apps. It's caused by the design of the way, Google works and the way Facebook works and the way that TikTok works and the way that Instagram works, you get more of what you click on. You get more of what you, you're, you pause to look at for more than a few seconds. And, um, you know, of, of Twitter works the same way. You know, you have to constantly kind of hack Twitter to, to make it show you, for example, the most recent rather than the thing that things you're interested in. Um, and, there's no way around that unless we build a castle. That's my case is that, you know, we have to build a castle and, and having governments ban things or punish people for looking at the wrong thing or punish the companies for, for doing what they can't help doing because by design, they, they're meant to do that. This is why face, you know, the, the, nobody says that by the way, in the, in the social dilemma, you know, they can't be fixed and everybody wants to, well, let's get the government to come in here and, and fix this for us. Well, we'll just ban the right thing and then, or we'll, we'll force Facebook to monitor what everybody's doing. You got 2 billion people loading in whatever the hell they feel like. You can't fix that. And then you drive engagement, you can't fix that. Then somebody reports, well, somebody put up an ISIS video. Okay, then we'll look for that and then we'll get rid of it. But by design, these things only you know, exploit vulnerabilities that are there because they weren't designed into the first place by making the phone or your computer your castle. 
So what yeah, do you do about it? It's, I'm sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Oh, so I just, well, I mean, what, this goes to the question, what can you do about it? I mean, part of that has to do with incentives. You know, the reason that those companies yeah. can't change is they have been built around incentives. The financial right. incentive goes in the opposite direction. You know, right. if every incentive points toward collecting as much data as possible, because there's a theory that it gives you more relevant, you can get more relevance and, and direct more relevant content to somebody that then makes you more valuable to the people paying you to show ads to those people. You know, I mean, it's so yeah. that financial incentive is always going to be more powerful than a regulation because it's, it, it, it's, it goes to why does, uh, why does UPS double park all the time in the city? Yeah. Well, they've done the calculation that it would be way more expensive uh, for it, for them to uh, find a parking place all the time than it is to pay the occasional fine from one of their drivers for double parking. So it's just yeah. the cost of doing business, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. In the part of Manhattan where I should say we used to live, we still have an apartment, but we're not there. Um, double parking on Broadway and pretty much everywhere is pro forma. Everybody does it all the time. It's uh and it's part of just the way civilization works. It's a, uh, um, but you can't do that downtown. You can do that uptown. You can't do that downtown. And, but the thing is there, I mean, here in the physical world, you see what's going on. You see somebody's double parked there and you can kind of read it. You know, you look at it. Is there somebody sitting in the driver's seat? There's not. Okay. They've gone inside. There is somebody sitting in the driver's seat. Maybe they'll move. Maybe this is here just for a couple of minutes. It's a UPS truck. Chances are it's just going to go in a few minutes. But online, you can't, you don't know, you don't know. And by design, you don't know. And, and, and even the people involved in it don't know, right? They, they hardly see what, what the machine is busy doing. It's been, and the financial You're incentives. They're not allowed are, to know. They're not allowed to know. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you look at what the GDPR did. And for that matter, the, I mean, the, the, CC, the CCPA is probably going to end up being more, more effective just because it has imposed a cost to data collection that is aversive for the, for the companies. Like maybe we really don't need this data, but for, but it's not going to affect Google and Facebook. It's going to affect a lot of smaller players, but, but in, in, in Europe, for example, I mean, people, you, they're still collecting your data. They're still collecting it all over the place because there's a loophole in there called consent and another loophole in there called uh, business purpose of whatever it is. Uh, you know, I forget what it is, but it's basically, we have to do this. We can't live without it. Uh, you know, but, but they, you know, but there's a, a multi hundred million dollar uh, or Euro or pound business in, in compliance to the GDPR while violating its spirit. And that's because as you point out, the, the, the business incentives are on the other side and they never took those into account. Um, they would come into account if they actually prosecuted all over the place. But I think even a Facebook or a Google could be laid, you know, like a, a multi-billion dollar fine and they'll still be fine. So I don't know, but. And they have, you know, for instance, yeah. there was a, the, you know, there was a case where a new case in the UK against Google YouTube for, um, for marketing to children, which uh, in, in terms that, that aren't allowed under UK law was essentially based off of, them being convicted in the U.S. for violating a similar law, uh, and they paid mm. the fine. And I don't—I'm not necessarily—I don't necessarily see that they changed too much to uh, to fix that going forward. But they certainly paid a fine, and then UK's uh, seeking a, a similar remedy uh, because they're not. I suppose you're not allowed to market to 
so out of, there's a good Ars Technica article about this that essentially said out of one side of their mouth, they were telling everyone, yes, we don't market to 13 year old and under uh, because that would be illegal. But then on, on the other side to the advertisers, they talk about the large market share they have among that demographic and how many hours per day those advertisers would get eyeballs based on those that age. Yeah. I mean, we, we have these machines for doing that kind of thing and, and they're gigantic and they make a lot of money and it's, it's, it's pretty hard to change that. But I mean, there's also a side of me that says, you know, if you want to, if you want to look at porn, if you want to look at just, you know, somebody dancing, you want to look at somebody lip syncing or whatever else they're doing. So what, you know, again, it, it comes to me, it comes down to what, what's okay with the individual. And, and unfortunately, I think for a lot of individuals being constantly profiled and included in a cohort that, that likes a lot of this person or that person's music or dancing or, or political opinions or whatever else is okay. Uh, and uh, so that's a, you know, that's a problem too. And I, I don't know if that's a fixable thing. Yeah. And I, I think part of it also is it's hard to define. It, we talk about harm a lot. I don't know when, but it's hard to define when you're talking about any sort of online media of any kind, it, even though, even in some cases where there is clear harm, like for example, uh, the, the social dilemma, you know, making, you know, the, the way that content is delivered, make, you know, literally affects people's psychological well-being or it affects the outcome of, of elections as we saw in the recent Facebook memo or whatever. But even still, even when there are clear cases, it's still really hard to, um, to define harm when you're talking about content, because it's, I mean, in, you know, it, maybe it's just a, a generational thing or, you know, an American thing, but, but I think a lot of us, most of us are raised with the idea, you know, <laughs> valuing freedom of speech and whatnot. And, and it's hard for me to accept that content in and of itself is harmful because it really should be up to the individual to process. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're, we're that analogy that, that starts to fall apart a little bit, you know, be, based on the capabilities of technology recently, but at the same time, it makes me uncomfortable to, or that there would be legislation about it and, and, and hard and fast conclusions be made based on what is merely content. But I don't know, well, maybe I'll have different well, how, ideas. How's this? You know, 20 years ago, you couldn't ban an app. Now, the best you could do would be to say that company cannot sell their, let's go 30 years because that's when software was in boxes on a store shelf. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 30 years ago, you may have said, okay, company, you're no longer allowed to, to sell within the United States, but you couldn't also go through and have the ability to go to everyone's computer in their house and uninstall that software, right? You know, that would be un unthinkable yeah. that that power is there, but that power is there today. If the only reason that, that TikTok and WeChat aren't being removed from everyone's phone on Monday is because the executive order didn't say to do so. The power, the ability to do so is there. Right. Uh, it's just simply not being done, I believe, because again, this is a game of chicken uh, and they're waiting for someone else to blink first and they're willing to burn it all down. But, uh, and it'll be easier to, to come back if 
they're not all the apps aren't removed, right. but the power's there. You know, Apple, right. Apple has demonstrated in the past by removing, you know, even internal Facebook tools from Facebook employees on Facebook iPhones uh, yeah. in retaliation for violating one of the privacy policies. You know, so they they've shown that they can do it. Right. Uh, so it it the question is, well, when will they when will they do it, and when, when won't they? Right. And, and, and they've done it. It goes both ways. To. Oh, sorry, I thought you were done. But it oh, goes that's, both, that's both it, ways. Yeah. They uh they put they put a U two album on 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 you know I Apple devices years ago. I mean, so so it, oh, yeah. it's not it's not completely yeah. it's not even out of the ordinary really. And well, I, well, I think getting... also it's it's the boiled frogs thing. If they suddenly if all the apps disappear from everybody's device on that scale with that popularity. Um, I think the frogs are going to jump out of the water. I, I'm personally, I think that that would be a concern. Yeah, well, that, that's true. Well, yeah, and so, and ask anyone who has an Android phone, not from, that's not, say, a Nexus device, even if it's a Nexus device, but ask anyone with an Android phone, the kinds of, of you know, junkware that gets pre-installed, it's sort of like the old school Windows days, where you would get a laptop from a vendor, and it had all this, in some cases, spy, actual literal spyware, pre-installed that would mm -hmm. pop up the moment that you installed your, you know, and so every, you know, you talk to an IT professional and they say, well, the best way to install Windows is to install it from scratch. So you don't get all that junk that comes along with the vendor, right? But, but Android phones in particular are the same way today. And if you went, the difference is, you, at least on a Windows PC, you could go in and uninstall all of that stuff in the olden days. Uh, but on Android, you can't, it, unless you root the phone, jailbreak the phone in most cases, if you have, you know, some like NFL sponsored game pre-installed on your phone <laughs> because right. the because your provider decided you needed that really badly uh, out of the goodness of their hearts to give you that free game, uh, you can't uninstall it. You know, it's it, the OS doesn't allow you. And what is that for hackers, uh, you know, to protect you against hackers? Is that really for security that you're not allowed to uninstall applications on your phone? I don't think so. No, in the 1990s. I used to work at the, uh, the uh, tech bench or the service department uh, for Best Buy. And we used to charge customers buying new computers money to remove that bloat from their new Windows PCs. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. If it can I, be a business model, there will be. Exactly. <laughs> I have a friend who um, worked for Samsung uh, he's now got a new startup. So he's gone from Samsung, but, um, a couple of years ago when I was talking to him, um, about it, I said, you know, I'd, I'd love to get a Samsung phone, except everybody I know with a Samsung phone hates the pre-installed Samsung apps and, uh, that they can't get rid of. He says, we're going to work on that. We're going to get rid of that. And he left that company almost like a broken man. I, I mean, I, I, in that set, around that, around his work because they never did that. There's one thing they could never get rid of. Um, and uh, I, I haven't looked at a Samsung phone to see if that's actually happened. They've actually taken those things off. There was actually a name for it. For, it wasn't bloatware, but it was some Samsung specific thing because that's their, their practice. But they're not the only one that does it. I'm sure all of them do it on the Android side anyway. And Apple does well, it too. It, you can't get rid of on Apple. Well, yeah, I mean, in the physical space, it reminds me. So in the town I live in, there's this beautiful um, Victorian mansion uh, right in downtown that uh, as I would, I, I live, I live within walking distance. So we would just sometimes go on, on walk down the street. And one afternoon when we were walking by, we saw an open house sign. And I thought, 
oh, this ancient, you know, this Victorian mansion sitting here, I, I have to see what, what it's like on the inside. And so we go in and start walking around the open house. And um, right when you walk in, there is this uh, black and white photo of this, this Victorian era woman on the, on, right as you walk in the front door. And come to find out as we walk through and start talking about the house, et cetera, that one of the requirements in buying that house, so apparently the woman that originally owned the house was uh, heavily involved in the occult, like a lot of people in that era. And she made it as a requirement after she died and sold the house that anyone who bought the house after, afterwards was required to hang that, that uh, photograph in the entryway in the house uh, for the rest of rest of their whoever owns the house wow. from that point on. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a physical space version of everyone's Android phone right now. You have some sort of creepy yeah, occult yeah, app on your thing. phone. Yeah. That, that you can't get rid of that's required to be there before you to enter the, the walk in the door. Yeah, it's actually more like you have one of those and you have two or three of those in every room. Right. You know, it's, uh, and yeah, they have cameras through the eyes. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those oh, yeah, houses yeah, yeah, where the eyes yeah. follow you. Funny. funny. I was actually involved in a transaction the exact same, in the exact same way. I, I bought it. I bought a piece of property from a, uh, a nonprofit, a historic preservation nonprofit. And we both agreed to put it in the deed that a building could not, must always in perpetuity be maintained as a historic structure so you can't tear it down you can't you know because it was the oldest building in the county and i agreed and i didn't want it that to ever happen so i mean <laughs> there are uh, other uh, examples in the real world that's an interesting thought I'll i don't own it I, anymore you know, but <laughs> it, it's it's funny because apps i mean it used to be in in the age of boxes or even in the in the age of cds and 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 online downloads before, before there were automatic installs that installing software was a chore, right? And, and it was actually a good thing in some ways. You had to be very deliberate about wanting an app on your uh, device, at least in the consumer world. And um, that's completely gone. I mean, it's like everything, everything is just provisional. It's like it, your phone is kind of a whiteboard onto which other parties can write whatever they want and then erase it and write something else there and erase that and write something else there and then promise to keep your data intact. Um, you know, which is yours, but you can't, you know, do much with, I mean, I, I mean, you, I mean, it, you're, you're still exposed in some ways. It's an interesting question. I mean, whether, whether the, the Librem will be a, a good enough model for the world. Um, I'm interested to see how that goes. Cause it's a better model. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we have, we have certain, the open, to us, at least, we view like the openness as an advantage because we don't have to profit off of everyone's data besides the fact that we are actively opposed to doing it. But yeah. because the profit motive isn't there where we have to, then it frees us up to do things that would be unthinkable for other companies to do. You know, for instance, it, it's definitely not, uh, it's not uh, in our financial best interest to make a phone that has lifetime software updates, for instance. You know, mm -hmm. both both phone vendors and cellular providers have this have this sort of handshake agreement that everyone should buy a new phone every two years, maybe three, and it's enforced in many ways by abandoning the phone when it comes to software updates. So at, at a certain point, if you care about security, then you have to you must get a new phone. 
because if you don't, right. they stop they stop providing security updates, right? And in many cases, otherwise the phone would work perfectly fine, but you need the updates, and so you have to buy. App, Apple's definitely better in this regard. You can, there's a lot more longevity on their platform um, compared to Android phones, but but all the same, there's a certain point in time where you're not getting updates. So you know it's it's in the cellular provider's financial interest to be on that two-year cycle because that correlates with a two-year cell phone contract cycle, right? And then they can say, well, if you sign a new, if you sign a new contract, you can get a subsidized phone, uh, that a brand new phone and then lock yourself in for two more years. And so, and it benefits the hardware vendor because they get to sell a new phone every two years to everybody on earth. And they don't, I mean, there's a lot of people it doesn't benefit because those phones often end up in a landfill somewhere as, as e-waste. Uh, but hmm. you know, it, yeah, it, the financial, there's, again, the financial incentives, the financial incentives are all there because we, uh, we, we're sort of free from a lot of those, those forces that would otherwise require us to do that because profit isn't, we, we can, we, uh, put our, can put our social purpose above that, I guess. And so it frees us up to do the right thing, even if it's not the most profitable thing. Well, I um, think on, on that note, it's probably, we can probably wrap it up unless anybody has any, uh, final thoughts. Who knew? Oh, I have one final thought. Who knew that portrait mode video was going to be so popular? <laughs> I mean, I. That's yeah, I, I have such. I, I don't like it. Um, me neither. It bugs the crap it, out of it me. It bugs. It bugs me because, <laughs> it, especially when you when port when somebody is shooting, for example, we've had this in California a lot. You're shooting a fire. The fire is mostly horizontal. It is on. It is landscape. It is literally a landscape and they're shooting it vertically and then a TV station show it or it's on YouTube or some other thing. And here's this kind of blank area on either side. And then you actually kind of blur that in a way that like there's some algorithm or something that says, we're going to take something that's in this picture and kind of mush it over to the sides and frame it with this junk. But in, essentially you've got something that takes up a third of a vertical, of a, you, have, you have a portrait mode that takes up a third of a landscape screen. And it, it, but it, it not so much kind of violates an unspoken law of rectangles, but which says, you know what? The world is essentially a horizontal thing, um, but it is a landscape thing. But portraits are not. I mean, if you're looking at other people's faces um, or your own face, that's a vertical thing. And that's what people are doing on TikTok and they're doing it on this other stuff. It's a it's pretty it's kind of an interesting new convention. Um, oh. I think it's iPhone and desktop have taken over portrait and landscape. <laughs> yeah, just, I think that's probably There's yeah. no more portrait yeah. and landscape. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. There's no concept well, that was a clever of what it's idea for. Behind it. Well, that was a clever idea behind it because instead of constantly making you turn your phone sideways to consume uh, content from this application, they just default to making it portrait. Right. So you're, you're using the phone in the proper, in the proper or in the default orientation. I mean, it makes a lot of sense as far as driving adoption on that platform, it also shows that it's really only intended in that case to be, you know, a phone application because that's the, what it's so designed for. Here's a weird thought. Let's say Apple or Google or somebody decides, you know what, what you really need is a square handheld, perfectly square, same, same on all sides. And then it has a camera in it and you're looking at the square. What does that do? You know, all of a sudden we look at a square everything. In a way, that was what um, uh, Instagram did. Instagram kind of defaulted to square for a while, or maybe it still does. It kind of likes square things. But, I mean, the, the weird thing, I mean, the cool thing about 
the portrait mode is that that's how you hold the phone. I mean, you hold the phone because of the way your hand is built. But if you want to look at it in landscape all the time, maybe a thousand years from now or 10,000 years from now, humans will have evolved to having hands that are good for holding a landscape uh, on, on their phones. It's an interesting question because these things are kind of extensions of ourselves. And as Kyle pointed out, there's an expectation we're going to get new ones every two years anyway. Um, I think the average life expectancy of a given one is that 18 months or something like that. Um, I stick it to the man and hold it on for three years. Yeah. <laughs> hold on to it for three years. I, I tend to as well. I mean, if I hadn't dropped my iPhone 7 in a pool, it, you know, it's, I'd probably still be using it. All, all of know? this reminds me of, of something, a conversation I had recently, and, and it's, it's totally a topic for another show, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. But have you ever seen the way a person with vision impairment uses a touchscreen phone? If you haven't, you should look it up. It's really mind-blowing, especially if you nose? do any kind of work that involves usability of any kind from any angle. Just look it up, and, and it's very educational. Watch it. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, the people I know who are vision impaired generally hold mind. it like two inches from their face. But well, of course, you could use your nose as a kind of uh, a pointing device because your nose is warm like your finger, and it's working off heat, right? Sort so of like can... my children. You know, they, they keep the screen... <laughs> two inches away from their face. And I always Maybe say, Maybe visually impaired was the wrong, but more severely visually impaired, possibly blind, if not completely. When, when I was a kid, everybody said, when TV came along, you're going to make yourself nearsighted by looking at the TV. And we've discovered since that what really makes you nearsighted is reading. <laughs> it's like, you know, books and magazines and other things like that. Uh, actually, nearsightedness is adaptive that way. This is open to some debate, but not much anymore. Yeah. Uh, but there we are, you know, that's. Okay. Well, that's an interesting final thought. Um, so I, I, we might as well reiterate again, we are a two-way street. We, we do have that email address, info at reality2cast.com. If you want to drop us a line about anything at all. And otherwise, thanks for listening. Indeed. And thanks for joining us, Petros and Kyle. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me anytime.